I thought I would begin this morning's homily with a question. And that question is, is the church's mission to preach the gospel of Bill Gates or something else? It's time to get back to our true mission as Catholics. It's time to get back to our true mission as Christians, even at the cost of our lives. For we belong to a church of martyrs. It's a long history of martyrdom in the Catholic Church going back to day one. And during this great season of Easter, we are supposed to ponder the fact that Jesus conquered death. Death no longer has power over us. That is what we are to believe as Christians. But we as a society have pulled away from God and his plan and gleefully adopted the plan of a group of oligarchs and their plan for the world. And this is insanity. To turn physical health into an absolute value at the expense of everything else is not charity, but rather abuse. We should heed the warning of the French bishop, Marc Allier, who said, and I quote, because man is one in body and soul, it is not right to turn physical health into an absolute value to the point of sacrificing the psychological and spiritual health of citizens, and in particular to deprive them of freely practicing their religion, which experience proves to be essential for their equilibrium. The church is not obliged to align itself with reductionist and stuttering official pronouncements, much less to be the conveyor belt of the state, without this implying a lack of respect and dialogue or cause for civil disobedience." End of quote. For several years now, I've been telling my siblings, my brothers and sisters, and anyone else who cares to listen to me, that the worst thing in the world is not to physically die. That's not the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world, rather, is to lose one's soul. And my siblings can tell you that if somebody is seriously ill at home and they call me up to tell me about it or somebody was in a serious car wreck or whatever, my first words out of my mouth every time, and they'll verify this if you ever meet them, the first words out of my mouth are, have they been anointed? Has he or she received the sacraments? That's more important than a blood transfusion. If we think about things as Christians, for an oligarch or a government 
or a hospital to tell us that the sacraments and our other spiritual needs are not essential is not only wrong, it's destroying people by the millions. Taking our marching orders from an oligarch who is a eugenicist is really bad, whose goal is to reduce the world's population. This is not in tune with true Catholic morality, and by the way, it's not charity. That oligarch who I'm talking about, of course, is Bill Gates, a very powerful man. And he was schooled in eugenics from a very early age because his mom and dad were deeply involved with Plan Baronhood. I'm not going to call it parenthood, it's Planned Baronhood. And it's a tragedy that he had to grow up in that kind of an atmosphere. But he was taught well by his parents, let me tell you, and he's willing. He's willing to do anything he can to limit human population here in the world. Gates said in a TED talk on February 20th, 2010, he says this, which kind of got people's attention at the time. He said, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's heading up to 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, and reproductive health services, we could lower that population by 10 or 15%. End of quote. Yeah. The real endeavor here with these vaccines seems to be to limit population. But nobody talks about it. This is not a conspiracy theory. I'm like Joe Friday from Dragnet, right? Jack Webb. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Just to give another illustration of this, Gates, who is one of the most powerful and rich men in the world, has teamed up with the World Health Organization as a partnership. Did you know he's the second largest donor for the World Health Organization? The first the largest donor is the United States government, and then Bill Gates is number two, and then Great Britain is number three. He has a lot to say about our medical care, does he not? Well, Gates and the World Health Organization, in their partnership, decided to vaccinate Kenyans in Kenya, Africa. And this is what they wanted to do. They said they wanted to vaccinate people with a tetanus shot. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? Hey, let's go get a tetanus shot, right? Well, come to find out, the Kenyan Catholic bishops claimed that Gates and the World Health Organization were chemically sterilizing millions of unwilling Kenyan women with a tetanus vaccine campaign. Three independent Nairobi-accredited biochemistry laboratories tested vials of this vaccine in March of 2014 and found HCG where none should have been present. And what is HCG? 
is a pregnancy hormone that leads to sterility. Facts. Not a conspiracy theory. Facts. Did you know that since the COVID vaccine has started, miscarriages have increased by over 300%? Fact. Fact. The earth is plunging into a great darkness, and the wolves in sheep's clothing are gathering around the sheep. It's getting dangerous. St. John Paul II said, it is precisely at the end of the second millennium that intense, threatening clouds converge on the horizon of all humanity and darkness descends on human souls. End of quote. So it's more important than ever for us, the sheep, to gather at the feet of the Good Shepherd. Every sheep has to learn to remain with the flock. If not, one will become prey for the wolves. And the strategy of these wolves in sheep's clothing can be so enticing with all kinds of wonderful promises. Doesn't the devil promise stuff all the time? So it's important for us to cling to sacred tradition. It's very important for us to know the sacred scriptures and the teachings of the Catechism of the Catholic Church like the back of our hands. But Jesus wants us to do more than to cling to sacred tradition. What Jesus wants, what the Good Shepherd wants, is for us to cling to him personally. Because you see, it's not enough for us to know our Catholic faith. We have to know Jesus, not just about him. And so we have to sit at his feet and listen to his voice and let him feed us. We have to pray. That's why we at the Fathers of Mercy from day one of this crisis have really, really begged people to come to the chapel. It's open from 6 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night every day. And for most of the afternoon, the Blessed Sacrament is exposed. We want people to sit at the feet of Jesus. We want people to sit at the feet of the Good Shepherd. We want them to listen to his words. We want them to be fed by him. But how do you do that when you run away from the shepherd? And so many people are. I remember when I was in college, I went to a small Catholic college, and they had a small chapel. And the chapel was so small that you could get really close to the tabernacle. And I would go in there at night to do some night prayers, and I would see this young lady, a good friend of mine, a, a, a fellow student at the college, and I would see her literally sitting on the floor at the foot of the tabernacle. She was sitting at his feet. And it was such a beautiful thing to see. And for the fact that she did that, she was able to go through tremendous sufferings and crosses in her life, knowing that she was going to be okay because she was in tune with the Good Shepherd. You know, as sheep, a lack of prayer makes us lame. It mutes 
the voice of the Good Shepherd, and it induces us to follow the voices of false shepherds who are not leading us to burdened pastures, but they're leading us to their great reset, as we hear about in the media. We have to pray, my friends. It's more important than ever, more important than ever. I come into this chapel in the afternoon. I know people are busy. I know people are busy. But you know, someday we're going to be judged. I'm going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, you know, <laughs> did you come to me for help when you were in trouble? Oh, no, Lord, I was too busy. Did you come to me for help when you were not at peace? Oh, no, Lord, I had some television shows I needed to watch. It sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? But that's what we do when we don't take advantage of it. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in section 2560 says, if you knew the gift of God, and of course that's a reference in the story in the Gospel of St. John of the Samaritan woman at the well, our Lord said, if you knew the gift of God, the wonder of prayer is revealed beside the well where we come seeking water. There Christ comes to meet every human being. It is he who first seeks us. It is he who first thirsts for us. He's thirsting for us day and night. Isn't that what he said from the cross? This is our well, right up here with that gold door. That is our well. You know, for the past couple of weeks or so, we've been reading from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of St. John at Daily Mass, which is our Lord's Eucharistic Discourse. And just before this Eucharistic discourse, we read in the Gospel of St. John that our Lord performed a tremendous miracle of the multiplication of loaves and fishes. And so the people who came to listen to our Lord this day in Capernaum, they were content. Their bellies were full, and they were ready for more, right? And then they were shocked when our Lord said, the good shepherd said, I offer you a better food that will lead you to the verdant pastures of heaven. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. You know, it puzzles me when there are a lot of Christians out here in America who are fundamental in their beliefs, who look at sacred scripture and they say, yeah, we, we take sacred scripture literally, except for the sixth chapter of St. John. Oh, our Lord had to be speaking symbolically there. That is preposterous, that's ridiculous. That isn't looking at the evidence. The evidence is overwhelming because right after he said that, many of the disciples in, the, in, their, in that synagogue said, this is ridiculous. 
This is nonsense. This is not our plan. I'm going elsewhere. And they left. And our Lord didn't run after them and say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I only spoke symbolically. Come on back. He let them go. These people were looking for a secular Messiah. These people were looking for someone who would fill their bellies. But they were not looking for the fervent pastures of heaven. And can you imagine the aching heart of our Lord? The aching heart, that sacred heart, was aching so much that day because the sheep who he wanted to feed so badly left the flock. They just left. I've always wondered about that pain. I was thinking about at times when we're preaching parish missions, we'll say something that offends somebody because they don't want to hear the truth. And yeah, sometimes somebody will get up during a mission talk and walk out. One time I had a man in Pennsylvania who stood up and basically yelled at me and he, he let me have it before he walked out. But can you imagine if everybody got up and walked out just about? Including one of the 12, right? Because we know that this is when Judas started to have a problem. Because Judas was looking for a secular Messiah. Judas was looking for comfort. Judas was looking for wealth. Judas probably was looking for power. And when he found out that that isn't what our Lord had to offer to him, he walked away. He wanted a secular Messiah, and we see what that got him. It brought disaster into his life. We have to get to the point where we have to listen to our Lord's words when he said, without me, you can do nothing. We don't need secular messiahs. We need the Messiah. As one author says, do you nurse some hope that the world will fulfill the desires of your heart with regard to health, family, job, money, and social and material possessions? Forget it. Or as they say in the Northeast, forget about it, right? But anyway, you have to be from the Northeast to understand that. Good news, I'm closing my folder. But I have a footnote. I'm praying for a John Fisher and Thomas More moment in the church right now. What do I mean by that? I grew up loving St. Thomas More. I didn't know Bishop John Fisher as well as Thomas More but I've, I've, I've grown lately to respect both of them so much because when the political power during their time, King Henry VIII, the secular Messiah, decided that he was going to redefine marriage, Bishop John Fisher said, no, I will not agree with that. 
I will never agree with that. Thomas More had to do the same thing. And they also had to say, by the way, King Henry VIII, I love you. In fact, Thomas More considered Henry VIII his friend right up to the end. I love you. And I respect you as our leader. But you are not the head of the Catholic Church. I'm praying for somebody to stand up, some great bishop to stand up and say, this is enough. This is enough. We're going down the wrong road here. I'm praying that some civil authority like Thomas More, a good Catholic man, will stand up and say, this is enough. We're not going down this road anymore. I'm sorry I'm so passionate. Well, I'm not sorry I'm passionate this morning because a lot is at stake. A lot is at stake. Are we going to listen to the Good Shepherd? Or are we going to listen to other sources? That is the question. For in the second, uh, in, in the responsorial psalm today, what did we read? Do you find your refuge in princes? Or do you find your refuge in the Good Shepherd, in God? I hope we find our refuge in Him before it's too late.